This podcast has been made possible by Planful and U.S. Bank. Hello, this is Elena Gomez, CFO of Zendesk, and you are listening to the CFO Thought Leader Podcast. This is episode 478. From Middle Market Media, this is CFO Thought Leader, where we speak to finance leaders about driving change within their organizations. Hi, it's Jack Sweeney. On today's show, we speak to Sebastian Martel, CFO of BRP, manufacturer of recreational vehicles such as snowmobiles, watercrafts. Back in 2003, when Bombardier Inc., announced it was selling off its recreational products division to a group of investors, including Bain Capital, Sebastian Martel phoned up the CFO of the newly formed unit and expressed interest in joining his team. Martel was hired. How's that for making an entrance? Who needs recruiters? He joined the company and, of course, 12 years later, he was the CFO. Our episode begins after these words from our sponsor. In an ever-changing world, it can be tough to keep up with the latest FP&A trends and innovations that keep you ahead of the game. Luckily, there's a podcast for that. Tune in to Being Planful, the podcast for finance leaders and planning experts, and stay in the know about what's happening in planning and forecasting. Guests like influencer Chris Ortega, Boston Red Sox CFO Tim Zhu and Brian Lapidus of AFP will keep you up to speed on how you can put finance in the driver's seat this year. Find the full episodes at beingplanful.com or wherever you get your podcasts. P.S. Think you might make a great guest on the show? Shoot host Rowan Tonkin an email at beingplanful.com at planful.com. Hello, we're speaking with Sebastian Martel, CFO of BRP, headquartered in the Canadian town of Valcourt, Quebec. BRP is today a leader in the world of power sports uh, vehicles and propulsion systems, think vehicles that move on snow, water, asphalt, and dirt. BRP 
operates manufacturing facilities in Canada, the U.S., Mexico, Finland, and Austria, and it today has a workforce of more than 10,500. Sebastian, welcome. Thank you, Jack. Good morning. Seth, good to have you with us. As always, we begin by asking our finance leaders to look backwards for us and uh, share with us what they believe were those experiences that prepared them for a finance leadership role. What comes to mind for you as you look back? Yeah, well, uh, actually, yes, I do have three uh, pretty relevant examples of, of what, uh, I guess, shaped me today as a CFO. The first one is early in my career. I, uh, I used to work for Arthur Anderson, uh, and being an auditor exposes you to, obviously, many companies, uh, many CFOs, CEOs as well. Uh, and so you see how businesses are being run, uh, what are the various business models, and that increases, obviously, your business acumen. But also when I was at Arthur Anderson, I did spend uh, a year in Silicon Valley. It was back in 2000. Uh, and there were many startups with a technology boom, and they needed auditors. And so they offered uh, the opportunity to go there for a year, which I took. Uh, and it was a, a great learning experience. One, learning U.S. GAAP versus Canadian GAAP, but also learning uh, the different business challenges that startups were facing. Uh, also, I, I did audit a few VC firms, so understanding how VCs were running. It was a very, very good example, uh, good experience, which some of the things I learned there still apply today. The second one was uh, coming to BRP. Uh, it was done um, via cold call to the CFO back then. I had worked on similar engagements of spinoffs uh, when I was uh, doing some auditing. And so when I saw the news that the Bombardier company was spinning off the recreational products business, uh, a light went off in my head and saying, wow, wow, this is a great opportunity and I think I could help this company. And so I picked up the phone and I called the CFO back then and offered them my services. I told them I knew he was in trouble uh, and this is where I could help him. And a few months later, I landed at BRP. And the third one is uh, leading the IPO for BRP. I was in a strategy role, uh, and the, CF, the, the CEO back then asked me if I wanted to lead the IPO. So bringing in finance, strategy, the legal, et cetera. And uh, that was another great learning experience, uh, learning, uh, getting exposed to analysts, uh, getting exposed to how the market uh, perceives BRP, that uh, I guess, set the stage for me to be a, a more efficient CFO when I was named CFO five years ago. One story where you picked up the phone, and, and it, maybe it was an abbreviated edition. You called the CFO I, I, and, and were, were able to make that connection where he said, yeah, this, we should get him on the team. I mean, is that... Am I stating that correctly? I'm sure there was more involved to it. but uh. Well, it, uh, obviously, I didn't get a hold of him the first time. So there was a few calls that happened, and I talked to his EA a few times before I actually made it directly to him. Uh, but that's how it, that's how it went. Uh, I had, I guess, I covered my experience, what I had done in the past, and the fact that I had worked on similar transactions in public accounting uh, and could give him a few examples of where I could imagine that things were, were being tough. Uh, obviously, uh, I guess uh, 
help them, I guess, sell the credibility of my story. Uh, and a few months later, I was I was working for BRP. So, uh, and yes, it's a gutsy move, but again, I was convinced that I could help the company, and I, I was convinced as well that on a professional side, it was a great challenge, a great challenge for me. And that's why I, uh, I guess, I took the call, I took the phone, and called them. And when you hung up the phone that day, were you confident that uh, it went well? Uh, you might not have known what the outcome would be, but you were like, okay. Yeah, well, I, I actually told my I remember I told my wife, I said, well, I think you get a get ready, we're going to be moving. That's what I told <laughs> so you were pretty confident. Also yeah. with you, you're uh, being chosen to, uh, for the IPO. Um, what was it that, uh, did you, you know, throw your hat in the ring? Was it, were you the obvious choice already, or did you in some ways reach out to, to make sure they saw you were interested? Well, uh, yeah, obviously I had been with the company for 10 years uh, in a finance role for quite a bit, but now it's currently in a strategy role, reporting directly for the CEO, so we had obviously a lot of uh, I guess interactions, and so he knew me quite well if he named me head of strategy for BRP and understood my business acumen, my financial acumen, and my ability to connect the dots and, and, and present the story. Uh, and these are the factors which, I guess, facilitated the decision-making. But it was a discussion I had had with, obviously, with the CEO back then. One other uh, item I just want to touch on with you before we, we, we uh, learn about BRP uh, today. Uh, you mentioned early on Arthur Anderson, an amazing chapter in business history, in my opinion. This, this company that had been around nearly 100 years collapses, had a sterling reputation for most of that century, disappears from the face of the earth. I think you're probably, you weren't a partner, you were young, you were on the team. Did it collapse around you? Were you there at the time? Uh, well, obviously, uh, it, it collapsed around all the employees, but I was not necessarily working on the Enron file. Uh, but, yes, I was there at the time of the collapse. And, uh, Did you feel like you ready. had drawn a shorthand? It seems like your career has gone extremely well. Aside of that chapter, perhaps, I don't know how you look at it today when you look back. You Maybe there was some takeaways from it. Well, again, would I be in public accounting today if uh, Arthur Anderson was still there? I mean, I was. Uh, I, 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 the firm was a great firm, as you said, great reputation, uh, really pushed the young, young guys and girls, if I can say, on the team to excel, and that was, was recognized. Uh, and so, obviously, my experience at Arthur Anderson is made who I am today. Um, but obviously, and, and it was a transition where we moved to another firm in, in Canada, and I mean they welcomed us with open arms and saw the, I mean they were happy to get the, the value, talent yeah. pool, yeah, the, the, the value on getting this new talent pool, and uh, the experience that I had at Deloitte uh, was also a very good experience. But I was more the reason why I, I, I kind of left the public accounting firm. I had learned what I wanted. I was I, I, I was very good in financial reporting and accounting and auditing, uh, and I believe that these skills were skills that I could help a business grow as well, uh, and bring the business acumen combined with that. And so that's why I was ready to move to a, a, a new a new opportunity or a new challenge. All right, uh, the CFO role uh, was. Uh 
years away and then suddenly you're walking through the door, you had time to understand the finance function within this new company uh, and, uh, you know, spinoff that it was. You had time to understand the management. I'm wondering, you arrive, did you reorganize finance? Was there, uh, did you have a, a roadmap? What would you tell us about that? that entrance, your entrance into the role and what you wanted to accomplish? Yeah, obviously, uh, when you are a finance person, you are thinking about, okay, when I'm going to leave this or if I'm going to leave this finance function, uh, this is what I will be doing. Uh, and so I was obviously happy to now have that opportunity of, I guess, adjusting certain of the parameters within the finance function. We were just I, I, less than a year as a public company was when I was named CFO. And so one of the key elements I wanted to improve was the whole IR function and communication to the market. And so that was one of the more short-term challenges as part of being named CFO. And then was overall the building up the team in terms of financial acumen and, uh, and bringing more value to the organization. Uh, and some of the key elements where I, yes, obviously I made changes to the team, and so some people had to leave, but also upskill the team in bringing more corporate finance acumen uh, and capital allocation focus uh, and more financial metric focus to the decision-making. And these are the main changes which were made to the finance organization and the way we run finance today. So. Tell us about your, I want to get a sense of your day-to-day -day and, and, and uh, what are the numbers you're routinely looking at? What are top-of-mind metrics for you? Well, the first one is a non-financial metric, and it's a, a retail metric because we sell units, we sell products to dealers uh, in market, and then subsequently these dealers sell these products to consumers. Uh, and the best Financial, the best non-financial metric is, well, how is your business doing? How is your retail growing? And so that's the number one metric that I look at, and it's a metric we get on a daily basis, but obviously on, on a weekly and monthly basis, it's much more meaningful. Uh, and then we have the standard financial metrics. We are a manufacturing organization which uh, buys material, uh, assembles materials, machines the material, and then sells these goods to the, to the dealers. Uh, obviously, gross margin is important and can, controlling costs, and so gross margin is, is a key focus. EBITDA is also a key focus for us. Uh, we generate uh, strong cash, and therefore uh, the EBITDA and EBITDA margins are key metrics. And uh, on a less, on a not necessarily a periodic basis, but we look on the overall return uh, on investment that we're generating. We have multiple product lines, multiple businesses. We are investing a lot of capital in these businesses, and so the return on investment is a key metric that we uh, we also we're also focused on. Do you have the uh, the visibility into the business that you want? Uh, I'm, I'm I'm wondering, like five years ago. Um, as you came up through the ranks, you're enjoying greater visibility perhaps today due to technologies or what have you. Are, do you have the visibility you require? Where can it be improved? What are the numbers that, the hard-to-get numbers that you want to be able to see more often? 
Yeah, the visibility is there. Uh, obviously, uh, we've been in business for a lot of years. Uh, we know what's what's driving the business, so we we have very good visibility as uh, to the drivers. And there's rarely surprises that happens either on the margin side, on the operating cost side, or on the bill of material cost. Uh, so we have I have good visibility, but there's always opportunities for improvement. Uh, and like all CFOs, uh, we when you look at, well, just take for example, a marketing investments that we're making. Well, yes, we'd like to get a be better handle on return on investment of, of marketing campaigns that we're doing. Uh, and so these are areas where we're working with the team to improve uh, and, and get better a better read on, okay, what, what was the result of this marketing campaign and it, it did generate the sales that we wanted to generate. But it's fine-tuning uh, the way I see it. Has your finance organization stopped doing something? Did you decide somewhere along the way, you know, this isn't a priority anymore, we've got to really, you know, put our human capital over here and focus on this more? Has there ever been that type of movement? Yeah, that's a good question. Well, there's one thing we stopped doing and there's one thing we, we're doing more. Uh, one thing we stopped doing is extensive budget reviews. And I, when I started at BRP and, and my my early years at BR, as a CFO, but I, I, I kind of changed that pretty quickly. We used to spend like days and days doing budget reviews, detailed budget reviews. And uh, and it was done once a year and very extensive. And we it was non-productive. Uh, it took up a lot of time from the finance organization, but also the business. Uh, and so we went away from detailed budget reviews, and now we're more we're doing more 12-month annual reviews of certain topics. So maybe it's going to be a marketing review, but instead of doing it in October as part of the budget review, we're going to do it in March because that's when we're going to be planning to spend a lot of money in the next few months, and that's when we'll do a more uh, thorough marketing review. R&D and, and, and CapEx planning is going to happen in June instead of doing, again, a deep dive in, in, um, in October. Uh, and so that uh, it spreads out the work over the year, uh, but also makes sure that the reviews are more aligned with the business cycle uh, and allows for better planning and less of knee-jerking, uh, which I had seen in the past. And one thing we're doing more as well is, is um, measuring the returns uh, that the business is generating and allocating ca uh, CapEx and, and cash differently. Uh, now our CapEx decisions are much more driven in terms of not necessarily okay, we have as a percentage, historically used to be a percentage of revenue, but now it's more, we have the cash, we're generating strong cash flows, what are the projects which are going to be strong returns, and instead of putting a cap on CapEx, we uh, will put a cap on the resources that are there to, to, uh, to execute on these projects. But if someone has a project which drives good return, uh, we're going to find the money and not necessarily say, well, the budget doesn't allow for it. If it's going to drive good returns and the cash flow is there, we're going to go ahead and do those projects. Has that, and this is uh, just a sort of a timely question. It's the only one I'll ask, and then we'll move to our uh, finance strategic uh, question. I I'm wondering, can you share any thoughts on whether the, the mindset of the current uh, U.S. presidential administration has caused BRP to uh, 
uh, respond in some way, strategically, uh, the finance, uh, measuring risk, what have you, whatever it might be. How has it responded to that? Good question. Uh, uh, and uh, when the president was elected about uh, a little over two years ago, there was a lot of noise on NAFTA. Uh, you might remember uh, the, he, there were discussions about imposing tariffs for goods manufactured in Mexico and being important to the U, important to the U.S. And we have important manufacturing operations in the U.S. We're growing as well on certain product lines. We needed to make investments. Uh, and we looked at various scenarios and saying, okay, should our next plant be in the U.S., yes or no, and, and what are the implications? But there were so many variables that could move the needle, and the, these variables were, well, what's going to be the tax rate for a U.S. operation? What is going to be the minimum NAFTA content that's going to be required? And also, what are going to be the penalties if you don't comply with the new NAFTA rules? And as a power sport manufacturer, we are a small player in the overall automobile industry. And we have the, we have the feeling that uh, any changes to NAFTA would be so material to the auto industry and could have an adverse impact on the economy that uh, we decided to run our business as you, as with the conditions we know today. And given the ability that we have to open up new plants or modify our supply chain quite rapidly, i.e. within 12 to 18 months, we said let's run our business as we know today. And if the conditions change and they're firmed up, and we'll adapt our business model if needed. And that's the story that we held with the market. And initially, they were a bit surprised, but after a few a few quarters, they understood what was involved. And in the end, we the fact that we stayed our course uh, was the right decision. And so our approach to this is until you get clarity as to what the changes are, run your business the way you know it, make the decisions with the conditions you know, and then if you have to change your business decisions uh, based on the new business reality. And it's been a, I guess, a winning situation and trying to gamble as to what the outcome is going to be. Interesting. Thank you uh, for, for answering that question. Okay, so we're going to ask for a finance strategic moment. This is where we ask finance leaders to look back and think about when there was a moment of strategic insight that your unique lines of sight into the organization afforded you. You saw a risk, an opportunity, whatever it might have been, and led you to maybe change uh, the direction of the company or maybe just your team, whatever it might have been. Uh, does a finance strategic moment come to mind? Yeah, and, the, and what I tell my, 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 my team here, and, and obviously I have a, a, a good team and I have a young team as well, is the, the beauty that we have in finance is that we – we get to convince the organization we have a powerful tool called numbers. And if you know how to take a number and, and I guess communicate a message with these numbers, you can steer an organization in any direction, in the right direction, but in any direction. Uh, and so I've, and I've been fortunate in my career, very young. I once had a, a, one of my bosses, he was controller of a paper mill. He said, you know, Seb, you're going to be a, you're a finance guy. You're never allowed to use the words, I think, I believe, I have the impression. You always should come up with facts if you want to move an organization or, or, or drive change. And I've kind of always used that rule in, in the way I, I've interacted with the management team. And 
one good example of this was back in 2010, which is 2009, uh, 10 with the Great Recession. Uh, we were a private company. We had debt on our balance sheet. We have covenants, et cetera. And uh, we were discussing whether or not uh, the covenants would be tight, uh, whether we would be comply with our covenants. And some of the organizations said, yeah, no problem, we'll be okay. But what I did is I took a few, few people from my team, we run financial models, and we indicated as to whether or not BRP would be able to meet its covenants or not. And given that it was challenging in some of the quarters, Again, we're looking at 18, 24 months down the road. Here are the actions that we need to do. And had I not done that analysis, I don't think the organization would have made the changes that they had made 12 months or 18 months prior to being tight on those covenants. Uh, and that's an example that the CEO often talks about, saying, well, I remember this meeting I had with Seb late a Wednesday night where he presented me numbers and said, well, here's where it's going to be tight and here's where we're going to be okay and here are the actions we need to do. Uh, for him, it's a defining moment in my career and for me, I assume, well, given that it's a defining moment in the eyes of the boss, while well, it's a defining moment in the way finance was able to have a strategic influence in, in the decision-making that the business is doing. When we come back, we enter the mentoring round with CFO Seb Martel. The business landscape is changing quickly. As the pressure to manage expenses efficiently and strategically increases, you need solutions that not only help drive down costs and improve efficiencies, but meet the changing needs of your business. At U.S. Bank, we can help. We'll work with you to uncover your specific payment challenges and bring you proactive and innovative solutions and strategies that help you meet the financial goals of your organization. Our commitment to doing the right thing for our customers has earned us the designation of one of the world's most ethical companies from the Ethisphere Institute for six years in a row. To learn more, visit us at usbpayment.com. What's one thing that's exciting you about finance and business today? The, uh, what's exciting today is that the speed of change is very fast, uh, a lot faster than 20 years ago, a lot faster than, than 10 years ago or five years ago. And, and so keeping up with business changes is, is what's exciting. Uh, and so finance, all, there's always going to be debits and credits, um, but it's supporting the business uh, to drive that change and to drive that growth. That's where my team, I know they get excited. Yes, it's challenging, and yes, you need to make decisions, and you can't do everything, but it's, it's that speed at which the business is evolving that uh, is exciting. And, and companies that, can, that have the resources, that have the capital, uh, and that are able to innovate, well, they could they outpace the industry very rapidly, and we've seen this in certain of our product lines where we've invested significantly. We were able to realize the projects that we wanted to realize, and we've seen that some other of our competitors are struggling. And finance plays a big part in there because there are some business cases and some tracking to do. Uh, and and some decision making that needs to be uh, that needs to be done. So that's 
been an exciting part of the business. Okay, so going back to when you, you first entered that CFO office for the first time, we always like to ask for that missing piece of advice that you wish someone had whispered in your ear at the time. And again, you had just been through an IPO only months earlier. Uh, you had succeeded in multiple ways, but at the same time, there had to be that one <laughs> piece of advice that somebody could have given you as you entered this leadership role where really in finance – uh, there's no one left to turn to. Yeah, and I, uh, it's funny because I think 18 months after I was CFO, I, I remember a meeting with the audit committee where we talked about uh, the job and how things were going, et cetera. And the way I, I qualified the CFO job, it's, it's an HR job. Uh, and yes, you're there, you'll make decisions, and, and you'll, you'll, you'll try to guide the organization. But when the company is a $5 billion company and you have over 250 people in finance, obviously you don't want to make all the decisions and you don't, you're not in all the meetings and you're not providing guidance to the business as to where should we go left or should we go right. Uh, and you're only as strong as the team that's under you. And uh, if someone had told me, I don't know, 10 years ago that the CFO job is an HR job, first and foremost, and that would have changed some of the decisions that I've made in the past. Um, and, and today I still think that, yes, you need to be, you need to have strong financial acumen, good business sense, uh, good communication abilities. But the number one thing is, do you have the right team? Uh, and it's building that team and make sure they develop as well over the time and that they develop the people under them as well. Do you have a personal habit or routine that you believe in some way has contributed to your professional success? Yeah, uh, I, I guess if I could say I try, I try to balance the work life and the personal life. Uh, people often have the impression that I work 70 hours a week, uh, but I actually take the time to, in my calendar to keep some, some time for, uh, I'll call it me time. Uh, so, and, and being, uh, being active physically is, it helps you tremendously in being efficient in your job. Uh, and that's something that I, is, is dear to me. Uh, and so I do, I do reserve some time in my calendar. It's at night or it's early in the morning, but making sure that you get the workout, uh, three or four times a week for me is, is critical. Uh, and it, it makes you more efficient and probably gives you a better, uh, better battery life as well. I, uh, forgive me if I'm sending you up here, but do you uh, have you? Uh, are you a? Uh, do you own a Skidoo or a Lynx or? A <laughs> I owned. Uh, I, I owned uh, last year. I used to own for the last two years uh, personal watercraft, Skidoo uh, watercraft which my, my kids love. Uh, now this summer we're looking for, we're going to have uh, two uh, Rikers, which is a new uh, on-wheel, uh, three-wheel product that we've introduced. So I'll have that in my garage uh, this summer and next summer. So, yes, every every year I'm, I absolutely have our VRP products. My geography is not too great here, but it, would you use those on a Canadian lake, I would imagine, or, what, or are you coming Well, it's out? an on-road. Yeah, the watercrafts are on Canadian lakes and and, uh, and even the ocean, but the Riker is going to be on the road. Uh, and they, even if we have a dirt road version, so we'll be doing a bit of dirt road as well. Okay, we're up to our final question. 
What are your priorities as a finance leader over the next 12 months? The, uh, the number one priority, uh, again, I don't want to sound like motherhood and apple pie, but it's, it's, it's focusing on the team and, and building the team. You, you never have the right team. You're, there's always uh, areas where you need to improve. Uh, and so it's talent development and, and building the team. And the other one is uh, helping the organization with the, the growth projects that we have. Uh, there are many growth opportunities that we're looking at. Obviously, there's some prioritization, but it's making sure that we're deploying the capital in the right areas in order to drive the growth that uh, we have the ability to drive because, again, DRP is an innovation company. Uh, we invest a lot in CapEx and R&D. Uh, we have we've been very successful because of that, and we are going to continue focusing on that. And that's uh, the priority of, uh, of the finance team. Seth Martel, thank you for joining us on CFO Thought Leader. Thank you very much, Jack. Have a good day. Hello, listeners. Do us a favor. Be certain to subscribe to CFO Thought Leader on Apple Podcasts. Or if you're an Android user, check us out on Spotify or Google Play. If you like the show, please recommend it to a friend. Oh, and by the way, the CFO Yearbook 2021 Print Edition debuts on Amazon this quarter featuring 100 profiles of finance leaders from our 2020 season. Would you like to learn more about our CFO guests? Order the CFO Yearbook 2021. Thank you for supporting our efforts to bring you career journeys of CFOs driving change. We'll be back with another episode very soon. Thank you for listening.